welcome to the Think MHK podcast presented by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. On this podcast, you will hear about a variety of local matters pertaining to the business community. You also hear from local business owners to hear their story and gain valuable business insights. Thanks for tuning in today. Welcome back to the Think MHK podcast. My co-host for this segment is Darren Solden. Hey, Darren. Hey, Jason. Really excited about today. We've got a good show. We have two great guests with us. Uh, with BHS Construction, we have Wayne Sloan, who's chairman of the board of BHS, and we have Patrick Shutter, who's president and CEO. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. So let's find out a little bit about both of you. Wayne, won't you tell us about yourself, and then we'll ask Patrick to do the same. I was born and raised in Manhattan. I was born into a construction family. My father was in business here for 42 years with Green Construction. He actually came from Nebraska. He was a corn husker. I was... Uh, Pretty blessed to be uh, growing up in Manhattan. It was just kind of had an ideal childhood. Uh, Went to K-State, was gone for one year to Wichita, and then came back and worked for my father and then got into BHS construction in 1982. My wife, Cindy, we met at K-State. We're married here, and uh, we have three children. And it's, uh, again, been a great life, a great place to raise a family. What was it? You uh, saw her at a uh, a college party and said, that's the girl I'm going to marry? That's the truth. (laughs) Patrick, how about you? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Emporia, Kansas, all through uh, grade school, high school. I uh, moved up here in uh, 2000. I followed a girl up here that uh, I thought I... Uh, really liked and well I, I got a degree and lost the girl she she became a doctor I don't know who was smarter out of the deal but uh, anyways I ended up with a really great degree and then uh, through my college career I ended up working for BHS construction and specifically Wayne really realized that that was uh, the type of culture and company that I wanted to work for and so I just never left Wayne couldn't get rid of me uh, now let's see almost uh, 19 years later I've got four kids and a wife and uh, really great family and a really great big BHS family also now. And and so you did find another girl. That was, I, <laughs> I think, did. I, I did. think you I, left everybody on the edge of their seat. She's she's not a doctor, but she's uh, way better. She's a great mother. So Well, good. So talk about your history with BHS Construction, including the history of the company and then your role within the company. Yes. Yeah, so BHS Construction actually started out as Burrell Rogers. It was uh, founded in 1965. Um, when I came to work for uh, Mr. Burrell in 1982, um, it was the company was uh, more or less dormant. Uh, we started the company up and it was named uh, BHS, and that's after uh, Bob Burrell, Mike Hoover, and myself, Wayne Sloan. Uh, We started out in light commercial around Manhattan. We ended up uh, doing mainly general construction work, but did get into some high-end housing throughout the years, mainly for customers that were were, uh, commercial clients of ours. We uh, have seen really great years and growth almost every year that we've uh, been in business. We had uh, one downturn during the 08 uh, crisis, but after that, it's uh, it's been uh, great all these years. The business has grown. We've grown in employees, and probably a defining moment of our company was actually when I did uh, have the opportunity to hire Patrick. Uh, he was the first employee that we had that was a Kansas State graduate in construction science 
most of uh, the construction science graduates didn't want to uh, stay around Manhattan. So that was a defining moment. And having my son come in and bring some uh, younger blood and life, and we've been able to continually hire uh, Kansas State uh, students. And it's uh, provided us with a great growth path. I thought I was the first guy that uh, the rest of the guys could finally put up with. Well, that was even questionable. (laughs) And of course, you did end up passing uh, the uh, president CEO baton to Patrick a couple of years ago, right? Yes. Actually, that happened a couple of years ago. And um, uh, my wife, every time that I tell everybody I'm still working, she doesn't believe that. So, but anyway, Patrick and Levi Snyder is another one of the owners, my son, uh, Zach. And then we just added a, uh, a fifth owner at this time, uh, Rex Adams, who uh, came back to Manhattan from uh, Colorado. So we've got a really great team. So you grew up in Manhattan. You mentioned that earlier. Talk about how the community has changed in your lifetime. I was born at a house up on Valley Drive. It's up by the high school. My dad built it in 1951. And he moved in a week before the 51 flood hit, which was kind of unusual. Right after that, they had uh, a number of friends, uh, 21 people living in a three-bedroom house uh, while everybody was trying to get uh, back to normal after the 51 flood. I was born in 1953, and basically behind that house uh, was, was mainly pasture land. There wasn't any cattle, but it was wide open spaces. So I lived somewhat in the middle of Manhattan and still had uh, green spaces to play. It was like, say, I had a kind of an ideal childhood, you know, just watching the growth out west of the community. And um, West Loop Shopping Center was, you know, basically brand new when I was still a young you know, still in grade school, that that was far west. And so as you see the growth around uh, the community, it's pretty amazing. The growth east, you know, what K-State has done and with their facilities and things that they've built through the years. And then you bring in Colbert Hills. Uh, it's just pretty amazing how quickly the community expanded. But I think it still keeps the small town feel that everybody appreciates. So there's a lot about Manhattan. You said this changed uh what do you see in Manhattan that makes it such a desirable place to live? I don't know. There's there's just a great vibrancy, and I don't know if it really – I think it kind of stems from K-State, you know, the culture that, that Bill Snyder really created around this, you know, winning college, you know, this winning football team. Um, it was fun to, fun to be here, fun to live here, and I, I think that really just spawned a, a, uh, at least a lot of starting growth. You know, it kept me around here uh, and most of my friends, I don't feel like they wanted to leave, but they needed, they didn't have the opportunity to, that I had to, to stick around. And I think that, uh, you know, that was, that was definitely, you know, one of the things that I saw about Manhattan, why I wanted to be around. I, th- I think vibrancy is a great word. That was the word that I used when three years ago I was being recruited to Manhattan by Wayne Sloan, which I guess both of us have that in common, right? Um, because I was surprised I'd not been to Manhattan and based on what um, I read about it and heard about it, when I actually got here and saw all that was going on and 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 all the connect connections that were made and, and the vibrancy in downtown and Aggieville and and West Manhattan, it was it was a huge selling point to me. And I have challenged our team that we need to do a better job of portraying that vibrancy outside of Manhattan because I'm not sure people understand what a great community it is. You know, having the university here that, you know, affords a small community like ours with a number of cultural things. 
Um, obviously, uh, Coach Snyder uh, turned this community into a, stepping it up to the next level, and everything everything grew after the football team started winning, and we all owe him a huge debt for that. You know, but having the airport here. Another huge thing that makes our community uh, stand out, having the ability to, you know, get out of Manhattan very easily to business or pleasure destinations. I'm, I might add too, you know, Fort Riley is obviously a big influence in the area. I'm going to also add just because I live uh, towards Walmigo, but I think Walmigo and Junction City bring a different aspect to Manhattan uh, and the culture of living here. You know, you kind of have a, a bunch of different types of living environments that you can choose to, to be around. Um, you know, I live out in the rural community and I love it. Um, but I'm so close to Manhattan. It's, uh, you know, it's a 10 minute drive for me or for, you know, from Walmigo, it's a 10 minute drive and almost similar from junction city. So you really have a, a large range of choice of lifestyle that you want to live. You, you know, Darren Patrick just got on the Pottawatomie County Economic Development Board, and I think Jack has trained him well into making sure he always talks about Wamigo and <laughs> in Pottawatomie County, no matter what he's doing. Right? It's it's all in the region. Right? You, you know, it's funny too because I actually live in Wabunsee County, <laughs> although my address is is a uh, Wamigo address. I'm kind of in this little black hole of. Um, not getting called for jury duty, I think, is why, why they say it's in a black hole. There is something to be said, though, about the, the region. You can you can live in a, a townhome. You can live in an apartment downtown. You can you can live in a situation where you can feed cattle and, and be at the office in a suit and tie 20 minutes later. So it really is a good good place for that. So we've talked about what makes Manhattan a great place to live. Um, why is Manhattan such a good place for business? Um, why, why has Manhattan been a great place for BHS to grow? Well, just the amount of growth that has happened in Manhattan, uh, we really feel fortunate, especially being in the building community, uh, that we've been able to grow along with the needs of the community uh, to really service that um, need for business growth. Um, we've thrived because of thriving businesses in Manhattan. Um, and, you know, even since I, I've only been here since 2004, um, you know, there's some great leaps and bounds 10 years before I was here, but really, you know, uh, in the last 19 years, just great leaps and bounds and what, uh, the business community in Manhattan has done. You know, one of the things that we've been fortunate, and I mentioned it earlier with K-State being here and having the construction science program up there, I mean, it once we uh, uh, were able to get people to understand, you know, what type of business we, you know, had and what we could do for them, it's really been one of the keys to our success and our growth is being able to recruit uh, really good employees. You know, we try to treat our employees properly pay them well give them good benefits and and create that uh, sense of family but uh, having the college here that's really helped us uh, be able to get uh, really great individuals to work for the company so in 2020 um, our inaugural business awards luncheon you all actually what it was a virtual luncheon at that point but you all were the very first winner of our Lifetime Achievement Award, which we call the Cornerstone Award. Um, what was your reaction to winning, and and uh, kind of what what are your thoughts about that? Looking back on on the on being selected for that, I feel extremely fortunate to be part of that uh, receiving, I guess, company for getting that award. However, I feel like really all of that um, was earned prior to my tenure at BHS. I really feel like Wayne really is the cornerstone, and, and a lot of the uh, uh, longer-term employees at BHS were a lot bigger part of that than what 
what I was, but it was really neat to see that honor happen because I always talk to the rest of our company about how much of a cornerstone Wayne and some of his uh, longer term employees really made BHS uh, uh, in the community. And uh, that's why I was really proud to have seen BHS get it, not necessarily on my own personal behalf, but just on behalf of Wayne and what uh, he had done for the previous 30 years. It was, a, it was a great honor to be the first one, and I really appreciate it very much. Um, you know, we've always tried to be a good citizen and, and do things for the community, do things for our employees, but uh, having... Uh, being the first uh, cornerstone winner was very special for all of us. So Wayne, you've always been active for the cha- with the chamber for a number of years. Um, you served as the the chair of the chamber board of directors in 2019, and Jason alluded to that was the, during the time that that he was brought to the community. Uh, why has your involvement with the chamber been so important to you? I've always felt that the uh, working for the chamber of commerce and being a member of the chamber of commerce was very important for myself and for BHS construction. I was actually uh, uh, on the board four times before I was asked to be a, in a leadership role. You know, as I go back, the chamber is how I w- was able to meet people and people of influence. So it was uh, a great mentoring piece for me, but also allowed me to uh, find the people that I needed to connect with to be able to do the work that you know, we have over the years. Um, you know, the chamber has been for growth. Some people don't like the word growth, but actually a community needs to grow. If they stay stagnant, they're going to get eaten up by taxes and uh, a whole number of things. So the chamber pu- pushing the uh, growth of our community is very important. It seemed like every time that I ran out of uh, ran out of work all i did is i went to a chamber event and was able to mingle with people and somebody would always say hey wayne i need you to come by and see me because i have a job that i need you to look at so it you know it actually provided me work so every every hour that i put into it i really think that i got a lot back out of it and of course during your year of chair uh, that you were instrumental in the revamped young professional group which is hype now you've mentioned that was one of your proudest accomplishments. Talk why you decided to take that on as a challenge. You know, I, th- I uh, saw around the community that I, th- I thought the young professionals were getting a little bit, uh, they just felt like they weren't involved enough. And the true growth of the future chamber is going to need to be those younger professionals. And we needed to provide an avenue for them to be able to become involved in the, the chamber more, to, be, uh, to understand how it worked, understand the goals, understand how they could integrate into that. And, um, you know, it, it's really turned out better than I expected. They've really taken this thing to a whole nother level. Um, and I think that we're going to see a very uh, educated uh, and uh, energetic uh, group of young professionals that are going to be the future of the Chamber of Commerce. And one of the other accomplishments that, that maybe you don't brag as much about, but uh, you did lead the uh, effort to replace Lyle Butler as, as the president, which turned out to be me, and I appreciate that. But uh, when you were going to be chair and you found out that Lyle was going to retire, was your immediate reaction to kick him in the shins or or kind of talk about that and then talk about that process? Actually, when I was asked to be on uh, 
the chamber executive committee, and Lyle was the person that asked me my first question was, Lyle, how long are you going to be here? And he told me that he wasn't going to be the uh, CEO and president of the chamber when he turned 70. So with my sharp math skills, I pretty much figured out when that was going to be <laughs> and figured that it was probably going to land on my shoulders to uh, find his replacement. As we went through that process, we did hire somebody from the outside to come in and, and lead us through uh, that process, put together a fairly large committee to go through the process. It was it was. It was interesting time and interesting process. And we had a number of people that uh, applied and we narrowed it down. We came down to Jason and another person uh, from outside of the community. And uh, I had to take Jason to uh, Valentine's Day dinner with my wife and buy him a rose along with her to make sure that he really wanted to come to the community. So I did, I, I did go on a Valentine's Day with Wayne and his wife. That it was, was the rose that sold it. Wasn't it, was, it, yeah. it was the rose. <laughs> I was so, say, we might say Wayne Sloan, the closer. From that's right. Right. So here's another interesting backstory that not very many people know. And I, I won't mention any names, but the, uh, at the time I didn't know, but, but, during the last interview, um, I, my, one of my dear friends was the other finalist, and I had called them uh, because I was going to be going through their town on my way to Manhattan to see if they wanted to have lunch, and, and uh, we figured out we were the two finalists. So that was, that was an interesting dynamic as part of that process as well. So, yes. but, I, but I will say this, and, and I've said this publicly before, but I want to say again, I appreciate Wayne and Matt and the other uh, members of the search committee, because it was a great process uh, to go through. And, and um, I was not convinced I was going to come to Manhattan when I started and, and they quickly convinced me it was a great place to be. And, and so I was all in once, uh, once I got the opportunity to see the community, but I think more important is I appreciate Wayne's support. It's not always easy and to, to inter interject a new person after 20 years of somebody else. And, and there's been a lot of hard, things that we've had to do along the way, but uh, Wayne has always been a tremendous uh, source of support and advice and mentorship. And I can tell you right now, I don't, I don't know if I'd still be here if it wasn't for Wayne Sloan, because there were a lot of challenging times that he really helped me get through. And, uh, and I appreciate him and, and, um, and all the other leaders, but, but specifically Wayne, because he was, he was the chair the first year I was here and it was difficult at times, but I think we're, we've come out the other side and, and we're seeing a lot of advancement. So thanks for your leadership, Wayne. You bet. It was it was a really interesting year. Um, I had some other things that I hoped to accomplish during the year, but really it ended up, uh, I knew that one of the goals was making sure that Jason got integrated into the community. And he, he actually did not start until March. And so we had uh, Karen Hibbert uh, stepped up and was the interim CEO during that time before when uh, Lyle left and Jason started. So we had about three months in there where we were somewhat getting prepared. I spent a little more time at the chamber than I might have uh, liked to during that three months. But uh, yeah, I think right. it, that was all right. <laughs> yeah, you're, apparently I was very happy that I was that. gone. Uh, <laughs> It was a, but it was an interesting time and, you know, bringing somebody new in, there's always adjustments and, you know, the, our partners, uh, trying to get everybody back on the same page. Uh, one of the things that Lyle was great about was, you know, getting everybody together. And when somebody like that leaves, everybody kind of splinters apart for a little while and then bringing everybody back together. But it was an interesting year and I thought we made some real advancements. And I'm real proud of where we are now and the advancements we've made particularly in economic development, which 
I give a lot of credit to Darren for. So, um, again, thank you so much for that, and and uh, and do appreciate that. So, are you ready for your the, our next segment, which I know you're aware of, which is our rapid fire segment? So, number one, what is something people often find surprising about you? I love Hallmark Christmas movies. That that is that's surprising. It's my happy place. There you go. Best piece of advice you have ever received? To tithe. That's good advice. What is your favorite holiday? Obviously Christmas. What is something you would like to try but haven't had the opportunity? I'd love to go on a river cruise. Yeah, me too. I think that'd be fun. Yep. Uh, what's your favorite pet? Uh, it's got to be Chuck the dog. Our current dog is the best animal we've ever owned. Charla likes him too. I bring him down to visit her. And well, in fact, Wayne was, Wayne said, can we cancel this so I can go play with the dog? That's exactly what he said. Um, the biggest lesson the pandemic taught you? I really am lazy. I don't think that's probably true, but uh, Samsung, Apple, or other? Uh, Apple. What was your first concert and your favorite concert? Ahern, Blood, Sweat, and Tears in 1970, 1970, I believe. And that was your first and favorite? Okay. Uh, who is someone you look up to? Dennis Mullen. I do too. That's a good answer. Uh, and then the last question, texting or talking? Talking. I believe that too. So, although we text, I, yeah. I get a lot of texts from you. Well, fellas, thanks so much for being with us today. And thank you both for your leadership and, and BHS uh, involvement in the chamber, as well as all the other community activities that you're engaged in. I know this community is a better place because of both of you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. The Think MHK podcast is brought to you by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. Don't forget to subscribe and like the Think MHK podcast on your preferred podcast provider, and you will never risk missing an episode. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. To find out more about today's topic or other chamber activities, please go to manhattan.org. And now back to today's show. Welcome back to the Think MHK podcast. My co-host for this segment is Charla Meisenheimer. Hey, Charla. Hey, Jason. So our member spotlight today is on uh, New Boston, and representing them is Lisa Sicily. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Jason and Charla. How are you guys doing? We're good. doing good. Welcome to the Think MHK podcast. Thank you for having me. So tell us a bit about yourself and how did you end up in Manhattan? Well, my dad was a K-Stater. I was always going to go to K-State. That was a foregone conclusion. So 40 years ago, last year, <laughs> I can't believe it's been that long, I came to Manhattan as a freshman and I've just stayed ever since. Um, I tell people inertia is a powerful force. Uh, sometimes when you're somewhere, you just stay. But my husband and I have had wonderful opportunities, and um, Manhattan has just always been a great place to live, raise our daughter, start a business, have good careers, get more education. So there was never any reason to leave. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Ingalls, Kansas, population 285. There were 17 kids in my class. And I was neither salutatorian nor valedictorian out of my <laughs> class. But nevertheless, K-State let me in, and uh, I've been here. I've been here ever since. I've met very few people who had fewer in their graduating class than I did. Mine had 21. 21, yeah. yeah. And I was salutatorian, which barely got me in the top 10%. So um, that's always an interesting way when, you fill, when you're filling out your applications. So. Yeah, I think I would have been salutatorian except for that uh, C that I got in home economics because I can't sew 
worth a darn. Well, I, I almost <laughs> lost my salutatory in, in shop because I am not handy at all. And my shop teacher told my mom, who was a school teacher, said, I'm not going to be the only teacher in the school to give him a B. So we'll just give him an A. Dang. But I got a really low one. It was like a 92 or something like oh, that. So. I wish my teacher had that kind of mercy, yeah. but I yeah. did not. So did apparently not we had similar high school careers. <laughs> so talk about your professional career in Manhattan and how did you end up with New Boston? Like I say, I came to K-State. My, my sophomore year, I had a, uh, an awakening that the uh, career as a teacher that I always thought I was going to have was actually not going to be a good choice for me. Uh, those pre-professional experiences that they have at K-State are very useful. But anyway, it, it was a shock to my system, and I uh, did not end up graduating from college until I was 28, almost 29. And in that interim period, I had a lot of really great jobs in Manhattan, um, mostly uh, in libraries. I worked in Manhattan Public Library and then a couple of research specialty libraries here in town. Even though I did not have a degree in English or anything, um, people were bringing me books to edit, journals, uh, articles to to look at and edit, revise, and all kinds of just content work, things like that. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to go back and finish my degree in straight English rather than English education, which was what I was originally going to do. Um, I had also worked for five years at The Master Teacher, uh, producing videos, editing books, publications, working on marketing. Um, I left there in 2003, and it was shortly after that that I met Kristen Brighton, uh, one of the other owners. Uh, we were both doing uh, freelance work, and she and I ended up working together for a few years in various ways, including both being staff at uh, the College of what is now the College of Health and Human Sciences. At the same time, she was working with Susan Raliga on some projects, including the original Manhattan 24-7 campaign for the Chamber. And one day, Kristen just floated the idea, what, you know, what do you think, what do you think about starting a business together? And I said, I've been thinking about that too. And so February of 2006, um, the three of us opened our doors and that's how we got here. And explain the name. <laughs> so we had agreed between the three of us to call ourselves Something Something Creative Group. Um, but we could not agree on what the Something Something was. And Kristen's grandmother, Bernice Brighton, suggested New Boston Creative Group. And it was kind of around the, the sesquicentennial of the city. And so a lot of the history um, uh, was just kind of floating in the air. But a lot of people don't know that from April of 1855 to June of 1855, Manhattan was called Boston or New Boston in some documents. And so we thought, thank you, Grandma Bernice. That is what we are going to do. And that, that solved that big hurdle. That, that's a great name, but something, something creative group might have, might have, might have <laughs> that, been that might, have, that might have been, that, that might have been good. It definitely too. would have been memorable. <laughs> so starting a new business is quite a venture. What you, you kind of blew it off like, oh, yeah, I've been thinking about that, too. Let's just do it. Um, talk about what went into that, the thoughts of that and leaving a job where I assume you were getting a regular paycheck and, and, and taking that risk. Yeah. So Kristen came from a small business owning family. She had that background. I had, I had freelanced, but I was um, strictly, you know, a one woman show and I did not know very much. I mean, I went in really naive, really naive. Um, but I knew that Kristen and Susan had skill sets that I did not have and that they would make up gaps in my knowledge. We had good trust amongst each other. And I, I could do things that neither of them could do. And so I just had this confidence that we would get it done. Um, and we had a really strong operating agreement uh, to start out. And we, you know, we knew what our exit strategy was if it didn't pan out. 
I kind of just took a leap of faith. Um, I believed in them, and I think they felt that way about me. And, you know, it's it's worked out well. But really, Jason, there was not a lot of thought that I put into it as far as soul searching or risk assessment. I just, I liked working with both of them. And I just thought, I thought we could... I thought we could do something good. In 2019, you were selected as Volunteer of the Year. What was your first reaction when you heard your name called? So I was completely, I would not have guessed that our office could have uh, kept it quiet. There was no telegraphing of anything. I was completely taken aback. And afterwards, some people who knew, who were sitting at the table said to me, you had this scowl on your face. And I'm like, well, that's my hard thinking face because I was, Wayne was just baffling me. Uh, Wayne Sloan, as he was describing, because I was like, this sounds like, oh man, this is me. (laughs) I mean, I was completely taken (laughs) off guard. And so that's why I looked like I had a scowl because I was trying to figure things out. It was amazing. And coming from someone like Wayne Sloan, that honor meant even more because there are a few people in this community that you could look at and say, they've been a better volunteer than Wayne Sloan has. And I just, um, I appreciated it so much coming from him and Um, I was totally, totally surprised and honored. Um, I have put a lot of hours in with the chamber, and uh, I was never looking for any kind of a payoff, but that was a a wonderful, wonderful experience. And we probably should say maybe that you you had no idea that was coming then, because at the annual dinner, we don't typically announce the winners, so they don't know ahead of time. No one called you ahead of time, and you were just in the audience with a table of eight, and your daughter got to be there that year, yes, right? Yes, my daughter, my son-in-law. Unfortunately, my husband was really sick. Oh, that's really right. Really sick. This was February of 2019, so in hindsight, <laughs> we don't know what he had, but we think it was just some kind of a respiratory infection. But uh, um, yeah, he was not able to come, but my son-in-law was able to be there, and so that was great. And and several of our staff members, um, but no, nobody telegraphed anything. Nobody said, "What are you wearing?" Nobody, nobody <laughs> said. You know, there was nothing to. And I had I had zero idea, and and it was only started to. On me very slowly as as Wayne was talking, and then I kind of looked around our table, and they were they were all sort of like you know giggling, and and I mean it was it was amazing. That's awesome. I do remember a conversation I had with Kristen right before then that said when she gets up, take her name tag off for the pictures. I don't remember whether she did that or not, but I guess I guess she did. I was kind of in a fog. <laughs> so Lisa, tell us. You talked a little bit about having your family near. What makes Manhattan a special place to live and to raise a family? You know, I think. I think that, I mean, I've lived in Kansas my whole life, and I think the fact that we have the university here and Fort Riley, even though that we are similar in size to a lot of other Midwestern communities, maybe hundreds, those two factors give us a demographic mix, a vibe, a feel, and a capacity in this community that many do not have. Um, We have expertise. We have people who value education. We have a depth of resources here that many communities just do not have. So in our school district, we have highly educated and expert teachers. In our business community, we have solid people who understand policy, uh, good decision-making practices, um, balancing of various needs that a community has. Manhattan is just very healthy place to live with a lot of people who can contribute 
to making that happen. You and your entire team at New Boston, a creative group, have been heavily involved in the chamber for a number of years. Why is that so important to you? Again, I'm going to give credit to Kristen because I walk in and I'm, you know, I'm just naive. And of course, I'd heard of the Chamber of Commerce, but I didn't really understand why it was important. And Kristen, one of the, literally one of the first things we did was she said, we were joining the chamber. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what that means, but okay. And so, um, but we started attending business after hours and um, other events and meeting people and kind of understanding things. And then sometime in maybe 2008, I was starting to get my feet under me and I joined the public affairs committee. And that was the committee that kind of advised the chamber board on legislative affairs and municipal government actions and how that would impact the business community. And I really learned a lot there and um, have just always kind of maintained an interest in that, in that aspect of chamber work. How does the chamber representing the business community interact with many other aspects of our, of our city and our state? So, so along those lines, about six years ago, you and a couple other people decided to um, replace the policy committee or restructure the policy committee to what we now call the Business Advocacy Committee. Um, talk about why you all decided that was important and, uh, and why restructuring that was imperative to the chamber. In 2016, if 15 or 16, that the idea of doing that kind of sprung up actually from uh, Matt Crocker of SPS Companies and and Kristen uh, because she was board chair in 2016, um, and uh, they decided that uh, the board as a whole decided that the uh, public affairs committee was perhaps could could have more value to the chamber board and to the chamber uh, with decision making input. Uh, diving more deeply into issues that the chamber needed to to be able to respond to. And so there was a task force formed, and Lucy Williams chaired that task force, and I was on that. And uh, so then, so that was how the, the Business Advocacy Committee was, was formed. Um, I wrote guidelines and bylaws for that, and I, I think I was the first chair. Okay. <laughs> And uh, um, it was just kind of a continuum for me. And then uh, uh, that's just been, I, I just rotated off of it. I just, just aged off of that now. So, um, but I, I think that it has evolved into a really valuable source of information and guidance for the chamber as a whole, um, because you've got a lot of people on there from various uh, industries, uh, sizes of business, nonprofit and for-profit who can all kind of bring their perspective to the table. We've wrestled with some really tough things, and I think we've come to some good decisions uh, for the good of the chamber. So it was interesting. You mentioned you did roll off in December, and that one of the things that when BAC formed, they created terms, and so there's term limits. Previously, you just showed up. If you wanted to be part of the policy committee, you just showed up. So you mentioned you started in 08, so you had a 13-year run. <laughs> On the chamber's lead policy <laughs> committee, is that is that correct? Definitely, yes, definitely. Time to be gone. <laughs> you don't. You're not having withdrawal symptoms at <laughs> well, this point. Well, I might. Or? I might every every other week when it's uh, meeting time. But uh, you know, I will say that that it, it's ironic because I learned so much just being able to walk onto public affairs back in the day, um, because you have people like Dick Carter, uh, Sue Peterson. Um, you know, lots of people who are really involved in, in politics and elected government in Manhattan um, 
who who were there. And I mean, I just learned tons just sitting there and soaking soaking that up. So um, I've had a really great experience um, with the chamber and with with just having that opportunity to learn so much and and to contribute as I can. And we still have opportunities for people who want to come and listen. We have Good Morning Manhattan. We have uh, Power Lunch. Uh, we have some other opportunities to come meet with elected officials and others. So, so we we didn't we didn't get rid of we may have gotten rid of the policy committee, but the opportunities to hear things is is still available. Yeah, and and I would just add that that elected officials come in and talk with the BAC committee all the time, and it's great opportunity for a for good back and forth to understand the the uh, the factors that are impacting our community from from you know both sides of an issue sometimes. So as someone who has been in the business community for a while, if you had one piece of advice for a young professional just breaking into the Manhattan business community, what would it be? Yeah, I get asked this sometimes. My my response is you need to find other people who can help you be successful. For me, as I've kind of touched on, it was going into business with two other people who knew how to do things that I did not know how to do and that I did not have experience doing. I know most people picture themselves as the solopreneur and, you know, they're going to be the next Elon Musk or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, and they're going to change the world with some revolutionary thinking. But you know what? Everybody needs help. <laughs> and having three owners of New Boston has given us the capacity. We have a we have 14-member team. The, the three of us have the capacity to manage that many people and to concentrate on business development. And, you know, if life happens to one of us, the other two can step in and keep running the business. A lot of sole proprietorships fail when something happens to them in their real life. And that didn't happen to us. And we didn't plan it that way. It was just kind of dumb luck. But it's worked out well for us because we've all had it's been 15 years and a lot happens to people in 15 years, but the business never suffered when things happened to us because the other two could just, you know, pick up and, and go on. If you decide that you're going into business for yourself, hire an attorney, get a good accountant and do what they tell you to do. That's my short answer. That right? is great advice. <laughs> the other thing is you talk about it, it. It is good when you have co-owners, but one of the things that clearly you all have done that a lot of people can't is get along. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, I, not everybody gets their way on every decision, right? Absolutely. So you, you all have figured out how to make that work. That's one. Um, I'm, I mentioned our operating agreement. Uh, it's 27 pages long. We're, we're, we need to you revisit must have written it because it. It, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. A lawyer wrote it. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you for saying you. that. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it uh, uh, it spells out the things that one of us has the authority to decide, two of us can decide, or what all three of us have to decide. We have re very rarely had to refer to it, but we've joked that most of the time, whichever one of us yells the loudest about something wins, but it's also, you know, two out of three a lot of the time. And we, we've talked each other off of ledges sometimes, but we have also supported each other in new, risky, daring things that we, you know, have decided that, okay, yeah, we're going to go for it because we've talked it out and we've all got skin in the game <laughs> and, uh, um, so it's it's been a yeah a good little community. We had worked together, we trusted and liked each other before we started the business, so that really helped. But yeah, we do like each other and we do respect each other. And you can tell. And I, it would be neglect for me to say you are a current board member of the chamber, I and am. we and we appreciate that. I also want to mention that uh, we use New Boston as well as some of our other marketing mm -hmm. firms in the community. Uh, for some of our efforts, and we recently just won an award from the International Economic Development Council. 
for our biosecurity marketing project, which if anybody's interested in that, you can go to our website and or go to one of our uh, social media channels. And but there's a lot of really good content about the community and our expertise in biosecurity. So yeah, we appreciate New Boston's thank help you, on that. Thank you. That's been a great project for us to be part of. As my dad used to say, do good and make good. <laughs> so, you know, if you can make a living doing doing things that are that are uh, productive and positive, then that's, that's just fantastic. All right. So now we're going to get to the fun part. And it is the rapid fire questions section of the uh, member spotlight. And so Sharla has 10 questions that we're going to go through and uh, get your answers on. Something people often find surprising about you. That I was 43 when we started New Boston. Um, people think that if you're, you know, an entrepreneur, you have to be a 23-year-old genius, and you do not. There's no expiration date, and, and you sure don't have to be a genius. I can, I'm <laughs> proof of that. I love that. What are you currently reading, or what's your favorite book? I love murder mystery series. I do not read books that an, if an author has only written one book, I do not even start it. I, I look and I go, oh, you got 15 books? Okay, you must be good. I'm going to read you. So that's what I like to do. Best piece of advice you ever received? So at a, at a job I had, a leader in that business said to me, we are going to solve this problem. You are going to solve it, and I am going to back you up. And I had no experience doing with what he told me I was going to do but he believed in me. So it wasn't really advice, but it was more of an order. <laughs> but it ended up, he changed my whole mindset about what I was capable of and, and, and what I could do. And if, if that had not happened, I would not have been able to start New Boston. He saw that I had some capabilities that I did not know I had, I guess is a good way to put it. It's a great mentor story. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, he was wonderful. What's your pet peeve? Slow left lane drivers. They are monsters. <laughs> monsters, Jason. It's monsters. Terrible monsters. What is something you would like to try but haven't had the opportunity? Uh, going up in a helicopter. That is that is on my bucket list, yes. What advice would you give the 19-year-old you? I would tell her that every day that goes by, you will become more resilient and better at solving your problems. They will become easier to handle and they will weigh you down less, so just ease up on yourself. What's something you always travel with? My pillow. Really? Hotel pillows will suffocate you if you give them a chance. I hate hotel pillows. I hope Karen Hibbert is listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest lesson the pandemic taught you? Do the best you can for your people and they will stick with you. We learned that lesson in the recession in 2009 and 10 as well. Treat them as well as you possibly can. Samsung, Apple, or other? Well, Apple, we're, a, we're an all-Mac shop. It makes our life a lot easier. You can have dinner with any four people in the world. Who's that your invite? Table? This is really hard. But I came up with Michelle Obama, uh, Anthony Fauci, Mitt Romney, and Laura Kelly. Because I admire brave people. I admire people who follow their own conscience and principles. That's it, right? Yeah, so it let is. me ask you real quick on that last one. Yeah. Four because... Because you and I may be opposite here. Four because there was a bunch and you had to narrow it down to four or four because there was only a few you wanted and four was... Well, some of them are dead. Oh, okay. and so Well, you could have said I, that. I, we, can't, we can't get any of these people I, to come to dinner I, I, with I you. I know, I know. But I was like, oh, I'm trying, to, try, I'm, trying to follow, I'm trying to follow the rules. No, I mean, it was, it was just a really interesting question. Yeah, it was like... Well, there are people in my in my regular in my regular life. Mm -hmm. There are famous people, but you know, thinking just really big picture, who would I, if I had a chance, who would I sit down with? And, I don't know. Sometimes I think it would be hard for me to even come up with four that I'd want to be around that long. 
comments, but that's okay. that's just me. I'll remember to eat real quickly whenever I'm around you. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, when you get a dinner invitation, like how yeah, important that wow. is, right? An invitation. There you go. That, that is, uh, when, you, when you're invited to Jason's table, you know. All right, Lisa, thank you so much for being with us today, but but also thank you for your leadership in the organization for many years and, and New Boston's participation with the chamber. We appreciate everything you guys do. Thanks, Jason. We appreciate everything you do for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think MHK, a podcast produced by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. If you enjoyed the Think MHK podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe and share it out on your social media channels. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. Thank you.